Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. My name is Jesse Seneschal, and I'm the director of Merck and the host of this podcast. Today's conversation comes out of work conducted as part of our teacher retention study. This study was initiated in 2018 by the Merck School Divisions to enhance our understanding of the phenomenon of teacher retention and the factors that influence a teacher's decision to stay in a school and to stay in the profession. This study has led to a number of initiatives and research efforts. This includes the development and implementation of an exit survey across multiple districts in the region, a longitudinal study of teacher retention patterns in the state and in the region, an analysis of local teacher retention policies and a cost analysis of local teacher induction programs. Today, we'll be discussing two recent reports from the study that highlight the idea that when thinking about teacher retention, leadership, especially principal leadership matters. One report cleverly titled, Will They Stay or Will They Go? is an analysis of the 2019 Virginia Department of Education Working Condition Survey. The other titled, The School Principal and Teacher Retention reviews the research literature on how school level leadership influences retention and resolves on action steps that local school leaders can take. To talk us through these reports and reflect on the implications, we have assembled an amazing panel of local experts that bring a range of perspectives on this topic. And let me introduce them now. Jonathan Becker is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University. Dr. Becker's teaching and scholarly endeavors occur at the intersection of educational technology, policy, law, and leadership. Dr. Becker recently served a five-year stint as VCU's Director of Learning Innovation, where he worked with the team to develop the Academic Learning Transformation Lab, Alt-Lab, as a center of pedagogical innovation for the university. Lauren Grobe is about to start her senior year at the College of William & Mary as an Education Policy Planning and Leadership major. She's spent the past three years researching culturally relevant pedagogy and engineering education at William & Mary and has worked alongside Dr. Becker this past year to write the School Principal and Teacher Retention Report. Her primary research interests include culturally relevant pedagogy and the intersection of housing segregation and school segregation. She will be applying to master's programs of education policy this fall and hopes to be a professor at a school of education one day. Valerie Rodnold is an associate professor in the Department of Teaching and Learning in the School of Education at Virginia uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. She teaches pre-service and in-service teachers methods of teaching, reading, literacy, and language arts. Dr. Rodnold has over 25 years of teaching experience as an elementary classroom teacher, reading specialist, literacy coordinator, and college professor. And finally, John Marshall is part of the team at Douglas Freeman High School in Henrico County, where he has served as principal for the last two years. Freeman is a, diverse, uh, is a diverse school outside Richmond that serves students from all backgrounds, including tremendous socioeconomic diversity and students from 37 different countries of origin. John has been a high school administrator for seven years and taught history at Verina High School and Glen Allen High School prior to that. As a school leader, his primary focus is attracting, recruiting, training, and pushing strong teachers. A graduate of William & Mary and UVA's Curry School of Education, John is currently pursuing his PhD in Educational Leadership, Policy and Justice at BCU, where his focus is schools that have built a school culture for success for English learners. Thank you all for uh, being with me today. I'm really excited about our conversation and um, welcome. And I'd like to get started with some perspective on this topic of teacher retention. So Val, Based on what we've learned over the course of this study, why is teacher retention an important topic? 
Well, I think the statistics are pretty staggering that nearly half of all the U.S. public school teachers leave their classrooms before their fifth year of teaching. And that because of this, um, there's a, actually a great cost of to schools and school divisions because of teacher attrition, such as um, not only the, the financial cost of it costing between fifteen dollars to $20,000 to replace each teacher, um, when, when, when a teacher isn't retained, but also the cost to student achievement when teachers leave the profession. And what are we seeing as some of the drivers of this of uh, attrition and retention? I mean, I know this is a complicated mm -hmm. topic, but um, what, what are we thinking about when we're talking about uh, the factors that lead to attrition or retention? Well, I think there, there, there are multiple factors, but two of them are um, administrative support slash you know, the, the leadership at the um, principal level and administrative level, and also teachers having opportunity, opportunities to collaborate with each other and to, um, to, to work on you know, having control over their own work. I'm gonna open this up. So do, do you all, the panel here, do you all have other thoughts around um, things that either support retention or, or drive attrition in the um, teaching workforce? Yeah, Jesse, in the, in the report, uh, there's a reference to a recent analysis that um, suggests there are kind of two main um, buckets of um, qualities that matter for teacher retention. One is, is sort of the people side of things, and it's how the people in the building kind of relate to one another. And there's the second bucket, which is more about the sort of work environment, the organization itself. So I, I think those are two large groupings of, of things to think about when we're thinking about teacher retention. Any other thoughts on this? Well, I just want to underscore the importance of this work. You know, the, uh, the impact of the teacher in the classroom um, is well known. And uh, it's really, from a school leader standpoint, a, a big chunk. We, we sometimes say it's the whole ballgame is getting the right people um, in the right places. So uh, the, the idea of attracting teachers to the profession and keeping them in the profession, especially strong ones, is, is just so important. So I'm excited to read this work. And it's very helpful to those of us in the field. Uh, given the importance of the person in the classroom. All right, and we really want to focus in on this conversation um, on those building level factors, on those things that people, uh, experiences people are having within their kind of school setting, organizational setting. Um, and these were factors that were kind of underneath the uh, VOE survey. The Virginia Department of Education put out a survey in 2019, and uh, Merck got access to that data to do some analysis. Um, John, can you give us some background on the survey and, and discuss what was learned through the analysis and what types of questions we were asking and, and, and what we learned? Yeah, so as you said, um, in the 2018-19 school year, the Virginia Department of Education implemented a survey on working conditions. They did a, a survey with students around school climate uh, and then faculty and staff uh, completed a survey about working conditions. Um, and it went out in the spring of 2019, and they got a tremendous response. Uh, I think like 93% of all schools participated statewide, and about two-thirds of all teachers completed the survey. So the result is over 50,000 responses from teachers to the survey, and that's, that's amazing. The survey itself was um, done in collaboration with the University of Virginia, and they uh, conceptualized working conditions under four broad categories. Uh, one was professionalism, 
The second was uh, around teaching instruction and student services. Third broad category was school and community supports. And the last category was safety. And then within each of those four broad categories, there were a set of scales. Uh, and ultimately there were 11 different scales that were in the survey that essentially operationalize this idea of working conditions. Uh, we looked at those scales, we looked at the scores on those scales um, and looked at kind of means and uh, standard deviations to kind of see how those played out. But as uh, Jesse said in the very beginning, this is part of our teacher retention study. And so in addition to the, all of the working conditions, uh, scales and items, there are a set of uh, demographic questions and a set of other questions, one of which um, ask the teachers to uh, reflect on their plans moving forward. And specifically, there was a question that said, uh, which of the following best describes your immediate professional plans? And there were eight possible responses, you know, ranging from, I plan to continue to teach at my current school to you know, I'm leaving education entirely for a whole set of reasons. What we did is we sort of collapsed those uh, responses for that one question into two possibilities. If a teacher indicated that they plan to continue teaching at their current school, we coded them as a stayer. Anybody else, any other teacher that indicated any other response, whether it was, I'm gonna continue to teach within the division, but leave the school, all the way up to you know, leaving education entirely, those were coded as movers. And you know, there's justifications for doing that or for looking at it other ways. For us, we are focused largely on kind of building level leadership. Um, and as you know, John Marshall and other principals can tell, can tell you, um, if they're losing a teacher, whether they're losing that teacher to another building or division or to the profession entirely, there are ramifications. And so we were focused on this idea of teacher retention kind of within the, the school building. And so we collapsed that uh, question into two possibilities, stayers, movers. And then we use that as a, as a dependent variable um, in our analyses of all the working conditions and looked at the working conditions scales, those 11 scales and the scores on them in relationship to that, uh, that question, that mover stayer question um, and derived a, a number of findings that I'm sure we'll go on to talk about here. Let's talk about them. I'm really interested to hear what you learned when you when you did that analysis. Uh, what were the working conditions that really um, led people to uh, want to leave or want to stay in the building? Well, unsurprisingly, uh, to this professor of educational leadership, <laughs> um, <laughs> teacher perceptions of school leadership matter the most. They are the most predictive of a teacher saying, I intend to stay in this school this year. Uh, and that school leadership scale um, has a number of items in it, um, some of the typical items you might expect in a school leadership scale, but that, that scale holds up as having the greatest predictive power. Um, and then after that, you see things like uh, teacher autonomy and teacher collegiality. So teachers, um, for them to want to stick around in the school, they want to feel a sense of autonomy and they wanna feel like they're working in a place where um, they have a sense of collegiality. Uh, these aren't terribly surprising findings, but um, it's always good to kind of corroborate your understanding of things with some actual data from teachers. 
Yeah, I'll so, just add to that, that, you know, as a former teacher and then a teacher educator for almost 20 years, that working with a lot of teachers that this, the findings were not surprising at all. And when I even would talk to the teachers I work with who are, you know, becoming reading specialists or literacy professionals, they would express this, you know, similar ideas um, in the frustrations they have in their teaching situations. All right, so I wanna, um, you know, as, as uh, scholars of ed leadership and folks that work in ed schools, none of this was surprising. John, as a school principal, what are your thoughts about this idea of working conditions? And, and does the idea that leadership is, is kind of like the key factor, what are, you, what are your reflections on that based on your experiences? Uh, well, first of all, the, the work is really intriguing because working conditions, I feel like, are things we can control. We, we would count that as a controllable. Um, I'm, but while I'm an advocate for it, I'm like unlikely to impact, you know, teacher pay or, you know, other kind of larger factors, but um, working conditions, we like to think we have some control over the building level. Uh, and so that is exciting um, work for, for us to read about very valuable to the field. Uh, I would say that the one that surprises me the most and continues to, and this is, is maybe um, a little counterintuitive, is that school leadership is the greatest factor. Um, as a school leader, I wonder if that is a, a lens that I'm bringing to the table that may you know, be some sort of me questioning my efficacy on a daily basis or um, you know, pointing to other things. But I'm always surprised to see that. Um, and it's a good reminder for me to, to read what the data are saying and not going with, you know, with whatever my perceived lack of effectiveness might be. Uh, so that, that tends to surprise me. Um, there's a couple of other things within that that I come to expect bureaucratic shield and we'll get into that. But um, the kind of vision setting and instructional leadership, uh, sometimes I forget how impactful that is um, for, a, for a teacher to hear. Well, let's, let's shift over to that. You, you mentioned bureaucratic shield and I know that was part of the, the second brief that we're gonna talk about. So I'm gonna um, kind of move the conversation into that. Um, that was the brief, the school principal and teacher retention. And this, this brief kind of takes a deeper dive into that idea of the role of the principal as a factor in teacher retention. So Lauren, can you talk us through this brief a little bit? Um, maybe start by talking about the method you all used. And I'd like to hear from both you and John a little bit about what you learned um, through doing this, this investigation. Sure. Um, so when Dr. Becker and I started this project, uh, we kind of decided on um, a form of the meta-narrative review technique, which basically means instead of cataloging every finding from every article that's ever been written on the topic and making an encyclopedia of sorts. We wanted to tease out the meaning and significance of the most important pieces of literature on the topic. Uh, so to start, you have to figure out what is what are the most important pieces of literature on this topic. Um, so we started down that path by just reading a bunch, and um, we found that there were four studies that were cited over and over and over again in every piece of literature, almost every piece of literature that we uh, came across on the subject. And these were all large-scale studies with very clear measures of school leadership that we could, you know, use and analyze. We also added two more recent studies. Um, that were of a similar scale. They hadn't been cited as much uh, simply because they're new, uh, but seem to be of similar significance and impact on uh, this, this topic. So um, from there, we wanted to thematically organize all of the measures used to link uh, principal or school leadership to teacher retention. 
Um, so we actually copy pasted all of the measures used in every single one of the studies into a big Google Doc. And I went in and I highlighted them all in different colors and moved them around to different places until we kind of came up with these five umbrella um, themes. And these became our five focus areas. So for example, if one uh, study asked a survey question about whether or not teachers felt that their principal clearly commuted safety protocols, and another asked questions regarding whether or not teachers felt that their principal provided resources to manage classroom behavior and create a safe learning space, those two survey questions ended up in the same category of um, promoting safe working conditions. So yeah, from there, we had eventually ended up with five themes and those became the five focus areas of our study. Um, and Dr. Becker, if you wanna go into those and talk about those a little bit more. Sure. So we took those five themes and we turned them into roles, thinking about you know, how could we make this review of the literature meaningful and actionable for school principals. And so the five roles uh, from those five themes are uh, shared vision developer, instructional leader, relational trust builder, safety officer, and bureaucratic shield. And, uh, you know, having done this uh, and having been in the world of educational leadership and the scholarship in the field for a long time, I think what, what I noticed was that the first two were unsurprising. You know, much of our curriculum in the Ed Leadership Program is about mission and vision and developing a shared vision. It's about instructional leadership and how to kind of move your teachers along as, as um, teachers, as instructors. Um, so those two roles were, were not surprising. Um, the, the kind of third role, this idea of relational trust builder um, is interesting because it, it builds on, there's a, a sort of growing body of literature on this idea of relational trust. Uh, Anthony Breich and Barbara Schneider have written about it for a while, but it's this idea about um, respect and competence and personal regard and integrity. It's, it's about everyone sort of, it's, it gets back to the idea I talked about earlier about collegiality, but it's more about trust and respect. And so principal sort of takes on this role of building that, that level of trust. The last two are, are showing up more in some of the more recent literature. Um, teachers are uh, concerned around issues of, of student safety and classroom management and student behavior. And so it becomes sort of incumbent on the principal to take on this role of, of safety officer and you know, communicating safety expectations and uh, providing resources to teachers around uh, better classroom behavior and managing that behavior. And lastly, this idea of bureaucratic shield. Um, if we go back to the, the VDOE working condition survey, you look at just the mean scores on all of those 11 scales. Um, one of the lowest scores is, uh, if not the lowest, is demands on teachers' time. And what that says is that teachers feel um, overworked. Um, they don't have time to do some of the things they feel they need to be doing with their students. Um, they're exposed to lots of kind of paperwork and bureaucracy. And so um, it is therefore important for principals who want to retain teachers to think about putting up some kind of shield, being that, that, that shield between the teachers and the bureaucracy that's taking away the time they need to be uh, great teachers. 
So those are the, the five roles that come from the five themes we saw across all those um, measures from the studies. And then at the end of the brief, we sort of talk, we give sort of action items for each of those um, roles of, of the principle. So we hope it's, it's um, meaningful, kind of evidence-based and um, actionable report for principals who want to retain the best teachers. All right, John, are you a, are you a bureaucratic shield? And <laughs> do you ever think about your job that way? And, and, and what about these other five focus areas? How do they kind of sync up with your experience? So the, the answer to your question is, is I hope so. And we do think about it a lot. And uh, just kudos to that. That's a great term for it. I don't think I've ever heard it used that way. So I love how, how you all phrase that. And just in general, I love this construct of, of roles that came out of this report. Um, a lot of school leadership is, um, you know, putting on different hats, we say, or, or taking on different roles. And so it's extremely helpful to those of us in the field when, when we speak like that, because we often feel these kind of different roles we have in tension with one another. Um, an example being, you know, as a relationship builder, you want to spend a lot of time just interacting with your teachers and students, being in the hallways, being in classrooms, um, which takes away the, the limited resource of time from maybe doing the paperwork or <laughs> responding to emails and other things like that. So um, we always feel the tension between the different roles. So it's really uh, insightful to phrase it that way and helpful to us uh, to kind of see this kind of Mount Rushmore, this kind of four or five roles that um, that help with teacher retention. Uh, so I love that that construct. The, it's funny that it's a little bit flipped from what Dr. Becker was saying. The surprising ones for me to see on this list were um, were not relationships or bureaucratic shield. I mean, I, I can't underscore the importance of that, but I, I think that I would have said that if you asked me. Um, a surprising amount of my job is 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 kind of working with the state and the the local division office and translating that for teachers so that they can focus on the main thing of teaching and learning. Um, and then relationships with, with that capital that comes from having strong relationships with students, staff, and parents, uh, we feel like we can we can do great things. So those things were, were not surprising to see, and I can't overstate their importance, but those ideas of, of vision building and instructional leadership, I know how important those are. And I, I would think that, that, that any principal would um, know exactly how important that work is. Don't think of it in terms of teacher retention, or I can speak for me. I didn't think of it in terms of teacher retention. I, you know, shielding them so they can do their work, providing autonomy, keeping teachers safe, and keeping working conditions and safe with their supporting their work. Yes, but um, I think it was a little bit surprising to know that that forward-thinking leadership um, has this impact, um, and so that's uh, really interesting to see. Yeah, John, I'm wondering um, if it's you know, my perspective is as someone who works in the Department of Educational Leadership, we have programs where we prepare uh, future school leaders and our curriculum is largely driven by sort of the accreditation bodies and what they tell what the state tells us that school leaders need to know and be able to do. And forever we've had as part of those courses around shared vision and instructional you know, courses and in instructional leadership. And we do have, we have a course that we call principals as HR agents. Um, but even there, it's, it's possible that the curriculum is not quite in line with what principals actually do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like we don't, we don't really teach a class about how to be that middle person between the state, the division and the teachers, right? But so, 
you know, so from my perspective, I say it's surprising. It's surprising only because it's it's not the kind of things we think about in our in a programmatic sort of way, um, but maybe we, we ought to. And I should clarify that um, it's surprising the impact um, is felt by teachers as strongly as the data, is, or data are suggesting that it is. We know the impact on students or on the school and advancing that cause, but to see that as a, um, not only maybe a byproduct, but as a, a principal you know, uh, feature in, in getting teachers to stay um, is just really interesting. Um, maybe a little, little surprising. Yeah, I, I, I want to um, move the conversation to a different topic, which is like where we are right now <clears throat> with public education, which we're, we're in a we're in a crazy time, you know, uh, with the pandemic, the shutting of schools for so long, the the um, really, you know, um, uncertain reopening of schools right now with the pandemic and this layered on top of, you know, racial justice movements around the country and um, around the world, really, um, public schools are, are, you know, in a time of radical transformation. Um, and so the questions here are thinking about like, what, what does this mean for teachers, teachers work, teacher retention? And what does it mean for the practices of school leaders? Like, I think these ideas of like, bureaucratic shield, developing trust and relationships, setting vision, all begin to take on maybe a slightly different meaning in the, con the context of where we are now with public schools. So I was just, I wanna start um, with Val and I'd really like to get all of your kind of perspectives on that because I think it's, it's really what we need to be thinking about at this moment. I think that in this um, time, I think what's really important is for um, it to be recognized how stressful it is and for, for everybody, for everybody involved with, you know, from the administration to the teachers, to the students, to the parents. But for, in this context of teacher retention, um, I think it's really important for administ administrators to, you know, value the teacher's voice and listen to the, the teachers and to, um, think about what they're asking teachers to do and how they're providing support for them when they are asking them to do things that they um, that are challenging. Because a lot of what's happening with teaching in a pandemic is challenging. Um, and teachers have had to, to do, to teach in a way that they've never had to teach before and to recognize that and to value and to listen, you know, value their opinions, listen to their opinions um, and, you know, have teachers be, you know, part of the decision-making process and um and just and and not just have the have things you know kind of told to them and this is what you're going to do and i think that would go, would go a long way in helping teachers um feel more feel better about the situation with um how of teaching in the pandemic yeah jesse i think it's important to note the the timing of this study so this was the working edition survey was administered right as things were kind of shutting down. Uh, so folks, well, actually it was spring 2019. So then we go into school year with, you know, so things were normal, if that's a word, then. Um, fortunately, this, the survey is done every other year. So they did administer the survey again this past spring of 2021. And so we can we can see if things have, have changed. Um, but I'll also point out that, so that survey, our, our dependent variable um, is not actual teacher attention. It's teachers' indications of what they intend to do the following school year. We don't, 
we don't know if they followed through with their intentions or not. We do have some data from the State Department um, for our secondary data analysis as part of the larger teacher retention study where we can see actual movement of teachers. And it'll be certainly interesting to see how that has changed um, over the last couple of years given the pandemic. Um, but to, to that, I would add that um, probably moving forward, I don't know if, if there's a, a sixth possible role, because I know John Marshall, you need one more hat to wear, right? But um, mm -hmm. you know, does, a, does the principal need to become sort of the, the emotional center of a school where mm -hmm. everyone is just really struggling with all kinds of challenges, personally, professionally, teachers who are parents who are home with kids who are home, teaching from home, learning from home, just juggling all kinds of things. And then just when we think things are getting bad, better, we go back to school this year and things are not much better. So, you know, does the principal need to adopt a new role as, as someone who um, is able to kind of hold the space for teachers? Um, that's not much in our curriculum either, John Marshall, but maybe you want to say a bit about kind of how you're thinking about your role this year? Yeah, I, mean, I think first of all, you all are right on painting a picture of, of kind of what it's what it's like to be in a school during a global pandemic and, and the emotional roller coaster um, and, and challenges that that has brought about. Um, I, I was just thinking about the roles of a principal and and, and maybe the, the the fifth or sixth role, uh, the sixth role as well. All of them just have heightened importance in this moment as becoming as being a teacher has gotten harder the winds of being a teacher at a distance are fewer and farther between. Um, working conditions, while they could from you know the outside, I think sometimes public perception is other oh, easier teachers might be at home or teachers might be, you know, um, teaching remotely. And there's some benefits to that. Really, it, what it does, is it takes away a lot of the positives of the working conditions, seeing the, the students face when they get it, forming those relationships, um, a lot of the things that really keep a teacher coming back. So uh, I mean, being a shield because it takes more time to plan a hybrid lesson, being a shield is more important. Intentionally building relationships because it's harder to build a relationship over Zoom, relationships become important. Um, setting a vision and, and I can almost bring in that, that kind of emotional center of the school, setting kind of the tone for the school becomes so much more important because it doesn't happen accidentally in the hallways or in fact, you know, at an in-person faculty meeting. So to me, it's uh, the stakes um, seem even higher during a pandemic with each of those roles, but I don't think they change. I think that um, in my experience, those that you've outlined uh, really still track this year um, with, with what was happening on the ground. And something that, and maybe this is just me being an optimist, but I would like to think that there could be some positive change at the end of this giant disaster. And something interesting I think is that parents at home are getting a little bit of more of a glimpse into a teacher's life. They can watch their kid in class. They also might get a little bit more empathy having also worked from home and knowing what it's like to have to respond to an email at 2 a.m. because you're working from home. And it, you know, students see the 2 a.m. timestamps when teachers submit grades. They, we all recognize that most teachers, at least my teachers in high school, did not really have work-life balance, like almost none. And the whole world has kind of had no work-life work balance for an entire year and a half. 
So I would like to think that maybe there's a little bit more empathy from parents on, on the other end of this and maybe from uh, higher up administrators into understanding that, that teachers' lives outside of the classroom oftentimes are spent prepping and you know, working for what they're going to do in school the next day and getting that extra appreciation and potentially pay um, that they deserve for those sorts of things. That's great. I love your optimism. I like optimism. <laughs> and I want to end on an optimistic note by talking about what we can do, because I feel like, you know, it's, um, it is an inflection point in public education. Now, what public schools look like moving forward are going to be, they're going to look dramatically different than they did five or 10 years ago. We're in transformational times and how they look really depends on us and the, and the work that we do now. And so I want to kind of have you all reflect on this. Um, so what can we do? What can we do individually? And what can we do collectively to build the capacity of school leaders and to support retention and engagement of teachers? And obviously there's a lot of levels here. Um, you know, what can happen at the school level? What can happen at the district level? What can the state and the federal government do to support teachers and teacher retention in successful schools? Um, and then also what's the university's role? I think that's also, you know, they're a key partner and they're definitely, um, you know, of interest here as well. So um, I'm gonna go back to, to you, Lauren, since you are so optimistic, um, let me know, give me some ideas about steps we can all take. Awesome. Well, I guess I was in high school less than four years ago, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I guess I can speak to the school level the best. Um, and I had three different principals over my four years at, uh, in, in high school, and Mr. Marshall might be laughing because he was an administrator there while I was a student. But you can definitely tell that school environment changes when different people are in charge. You can see that teachers act differently. They say different things. And to be honest, teachers kind of let students know how they're doing for the most part. They're honest and open with their students. And um, I guess through seeing each of those leaders and how they impacted the school environment that I was in, and also through the research I've done with Dr. Becker, I, I think I've realized that principal efficacy ultimately boils down to being self-aware and to understanding how principal's actions affect the day-to-day -day lives of teachers and their desire to stay in the profession. So I think there are a few things Obviously, being self-aware isn't something you can just become overnight. Some people are more self-aware than others naturally. But I think there are a few things that can be done um, uh, to support principals in becoming more self-aware. Uh, and I think one of those is teaching principals effective way of gathering feedback from teachers and making sure that they have the tools necessary to do that, um, whether that's the district promoting the use of some kind of method or tool, or whether that's universities making sure that principals know how to do that before they enter their careers. Um, I think that's really important. And also incentivizing them to collect that feedback regularly and act on it, perhaps like tracking what common complaints are and what they've been doing regularly to ameliorate those issues. Um, and then communicating that, that progress with the teachers. And finally, I think the most important thing is just blocking in regular one-on-one -on -one conversations with teachers. Um, and so 
teachers need to know that their principals know who they are as people, know what their biggest concerns are, and know where their frustrations lie in order to develop those positive relationships. And obviously, principals have incredibly busy lives, but just taking 10 minutes with every teacher over the course of a semester could be the difference between someone wanting to stay or leave. I was just going to say, just building on that, this whole idea of um, building relationships and also being being a good listener, you know, being able to listen to your teachers and um, and find out the things that are causing them stress and um, and having that that care for them and and their well being, um, because I think Lauren's right. A lot of teachers, um, educators don't have a balance, don't have work life balance, but it makes it easier when you feel like you're you're being valued and you're being listened to. Um, to when, when things are not in balance. It's unfortunate our, our listeners won't be able to um, see me nodding to each to both of what Valerie and Lauren shared because I, I'm crossing things off what I was about to say because they're just right on. Um, and just as a side, Lauren, three of your teachers that I texted before we started recording, say hello. The um, I wrote listen more, just listen more. And that can be um, through you know staying current on reports like this or you know, brief informal polls, um, kind of a, what we call a dipstick conversation where you go to a teacher and just kind of have, what's the mood of the building? How are we feeling? And, and just being a good listener is, is an underrated skill in, this, in, in leadership. Um, and then prioritizing teachers, as Valerie said, just prioritizing the well-being and um, the, the conditions of teachers with so many things being pulled on us. I think sometimes teacher, teachers can be taken for granted. They're part of the team. They're in the building. They, you know, they're they're on contract. They can they their um their 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 conditions, their um, mood can be taken for granted, because even if we don't lose a teacher to to, to teacher retention, you know, to to leaving the profession or leaving the school, uh, we can lose them as strong professionals, right? As as they you know based on leadership or based on conditions aren't able to be at their best so just listening more and prioritizing teachers um, and sometimes i feel like there's a tension between are you pro student pro teacher pro parent from an administrative perspective um, i think obviously there doesn't need to be attention I mean, they're all on the same team working towards the same end and keeping teachers um, as a priority uh, is just is so important and something you kind of kind of fight to continue to do as a leader yes yeah i would i would suggest two related things that we can do moving forward. One is around um, governance. And I think one of the things we saw, particularly in the early days of the pandemic was uh, a, a kind of fragmented system where everybody was looking to somebody else for guidance, right? And so principals were looking to the division who was looking to the state, who was looking to the federal government to figure out what to do. And Nobody was seemed willing to make decisions, and so nobody. So we were sort of in this state of nobody doing anything because nobody wanted to make any decisions. And um, we have a, a similar, I think, issue around um, teacher retention. And this is the second thing, you know. So first, we got to sort of got to get our governance ducks in a row. Um, but the second thing is, we have a another study that's coming out as part of the teacher retention. Um, study, and it, it looks at what school divisions have done by way of policy around teacher retention. And one of the things that became pretty clear was the same idea of 
folks looking to other people, right? So when you talk to district level people and HR folks, they're looking to the principal to say, well, teacher retention is, that's something that, that the principal controls. And so we leave it to our principals to be that kind of chief human resource officer. Um, when you talk to principals, they say, well, you know, when you, when you do more at the district level. And then, so when we look at the district level, what we get is, you know, A, sort of the pointing to the building as the issue, but B, much more by way of practice than policy. There's not a lot of, there's not a, um, a real strong, coherent teacher retention program with policies attached to it. There's a lot of sort of piecemeal efforts, right? So teacher induction program is a thing that all school divisions do, and that's related to teacher retention. Uh, and that has kind of a mentoring component to it typically. Um, then there's some HR stuff that folks do, and um, but it's not, there's, no, there's no one person whose job is teacher retention. Um, and so I think moving forward, it would be good for divisions to think about their overall approach to teacher retention um, and think about, you know, is it, is it HR that handles it? Is it some assistant superintendent for instruction? Is it the principals? Or is it, you know, a, a team effort at the division level where there's a very clear coherent policy or set of policies that um, make teacher retention a priority? I love that idea. Um, I, I, I think that's going to be, I'd really like to make sure that we push that idea out as we're getting that policy report out, because that's a really important point. Um, I, and I, before I leave this topic, though, I just, I want to go back to one other thing. What is the university role in this? We haven't really talked about that, but um, is higher ed off the hook or does higher ed have a, have a role in this too? Any really quick thoughts on that? Well, I'll just, I'll go with my tail between my legs back to my department to say, you know, John Marshall says we need to do things differently and <laughs> we need to teach different classes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm only Not at all. <laughs> But, but I, I, I do think, and this gets back to the question, the conversation about the pandemic, I, I think we need to um, think about re, sort of tinkering with our curriculum. Um, teaching more that principals as HR agents class maybe needs to be more than one class and um, to help prepare future principals who can be um, kind of an emotional center of a building. Um, and also really like, we don't teach emergency preparedness, <laughs> um, maybe because we, we had hoped we wouldn't have to, but um, I think it's important for, for myself and my colleagues in my department to think about our curriculum and how it is aligning with modern practices of the school leader and our our modern world of not just emergency preparedness, but the, the politics that are around education these days, um, which relates to teacher retention, because it wouldn't surprise me if we saw lots of teachers kind of getting out while the kitchen's real hot, because it, it's hot right now. So from my department's perspective, I think we, we ought to think about Kind of the politics of ed, the, the psychology of being a school leader, all that stuff and how that relates to teacher retention. I'll, I'll add that as someone who teaches pre-service and in-service teachers um, who are not on the path to being a, a school administrator, 
Um, it's helping teachers learn how to be advocates for themselves, to learn how to how to have conversations with their principals about what's happening in their classrooms, what's happening in the school. Um, but also the flip side of that is that they have to be able to have those conversations without fear of of having you know of having consequences you know and so part of it is the principals being willing to listen to teachers when they when they talk and it, when it's not always might not always be positive things that they're saying but but then the thinking about how you have those conversations is teachers learning how to have them without being um you know aggressive or um and just really trying to share their ideas and thoughts about how to make it better for them and their students in the classroom and in the school. Um, so I think it's it's part of helping teachers to have to find their voice and to have their voice, but then they also need to feel trust that they're gonna be able, that they can express their opinions and express their voice with and um, have it be listened to and, and valued. So it's, so it's definitely a, a two-way street. Yeah, that's a great point. I, teacher leadership is so critical. And um, I think it's it's a re really important part of the equation as well. But we're going to have to leave it there for now. What a great conversation. Um, if uh, you and the listening audience were interested in today's discussion, I encourage you to review and share these reports in your networks. They can be found on our website at merck.soe.bcu.edu backslash reports. And merck is merc.soebcu.edu. And while you're on the website, you can also learn about and register for the upcoming 2021 Merck Conference, which will be held Friday, October 22nd on the Hopin2 online platform. So it's an online virtual conference. The theme of this year's conference is the promise of public education, connecting research policy and practice in a new era. Tickets are available now, and there are special rates for VCU and Merck school divisions. On the website, you can also check out Merck project, other Merck projects and reports on prominent issues in public education and sign up for our stakeholder email listserv to stay up to date with our latest research and resources. You can also listen to other episodes of Abstract and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Merck website. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Powhatan, Petersburg, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks to John and John and Val and Lauren for sharing their perspective today. And of course, as always, thanks to you for joining our conversation. We hope you will share this episode with anyone who you think would find it interesting or helpful. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.